and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will go up into the Salt and Light attic and bring down some of our favorite conversations. First, we speak about parenting teenagers with Fortifying Families of Faith founder Linda Cracked, and we meet singer-songwriter Ben Walther. In our second half hour, filmmaker Ed Roy tells us about the making of the new Salt and Light production, Finding St. Anthony, a story of loss and light. At the end of the program, we will have a featured chat with singer-songwriter Audrey Assad. We begin now with Fortifying Families of Faith. It's probably an understatement to say that parenting can be challenging. For my wife and I, we decided before we had children that parenting was probably the most important job we would ever do. And so we did everything we could to prepare. We read, we researched, and there are lots of resources out there. Some very good, some not so good. But there aren't a lot of Catholic resources for parents, especially for parents of teenagers. And that's what led Linda and David Cracked to, fo- to found Fortifying Families of Faith. And to tell us all about it, we're now joined by Linda Cracked. Linda, welcome to the program. Thanks, Deacon Pedro. I'm sorry. I almost called your father there. You are a father, but you know, I am a father, a yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. So th- what, what is the business of Fortifying Families of Faith? Our vision is to do just that, fortifying families, or fortifying parents, because I think parents are kind of being deluged today with all kinds of uh, mixed messages about their importance, their role, their uh, duties, their obligations, and they're really mixed up. You know, they are taking a second, our backseat to many different voices out there who are willing to step forward and say, no, I can do this better. Let me do sex education, for instance, in the school. Let me teach your children about this, that, and the next thing without necessarily um, having or sharing our values or, or those sorts of things. So parents are kind of taking a, a step back these days and, and in some ways just trying to be friends with their children rather than being the parent or the head of the household. So our point is to really go out and through our materials, you know, um, support parents and say you have this rightful duty as a primary educator of your teen or any child in the areas of faith, you know, sexual morality and right. and value, moral values, and you know, take it by the take it by the horns and and do it. Right now, you and your husband have seven children. We do, yes, and, and we have thirteen and grandchildren. Thirteen grandchildren. So, w- what led you to start this 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 organization? How did it all begin? Well, it's, it actually started when our oldest son. Well, the organization didn't start back then, but the idea started when he was a senior in high school. And I have always been very, we've always been very adamant about teaching our kids about uh, sexuality and faith and, you know, the morals or family values in the home. And I've been opposed to, you know, kind of like school-based sex education programs for years. And we fought some of the school-based clinic stuff here in St. Paul. And then when our son was a senior in high school and he was attending a Catholic high school, um, the, the priest and I had just started talking one day, and I said, you know, I think I'd really like to do a program for parents because it seems like so many times they're taking a step back, and he said, yeah, let's try it. And so we started a program called Daughters Forever, Sons Forever, 
in which we brought in um, different speakers. It was an all-day deal for parents and then their senior in high school. And um, that ran for about 10 years, and we had really good success. Parents loved it. The teen actually loved it as well. But it just in my, in my opinion, anyway, that a lot of parents said, okay, did that, done that, um, we're done with this. And But other parents came up to me and said, you need to record this or take it further because we really need to want to continue these discussions at home. Right. So so then that's what, and then I was chairman of the board of directors for the couple, the couple league for Metro Family Planning for 10 years, so I was, yeah. you know, kind of focusing on that, and then when that term was coming to an end, I could see, you know, kind of a light at the end of the tunnel for myself and decided that I'd want to start this, this company, and that's what I did in 2008. So I took the Daughters Forever, Sons Forever concept and developed it into an actual book and curriculum for parents to, you know, cover it at home with their, their teens. And now what we're doing it, in addition is we're taking it on the road. We've just been to Green Bay, Wisconsin, talked uh-huh. to 40 uh, families there about how to get the program going and supporting them. And, and now we're going to be going to a school called St. Agnes in St. Paul and also in um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana in April. So right. And we do it in English. We present the program in Spanish and in English. Oh, good. So our materials are in both languages. And uh, Viviana Soltro is my, um, you know, the, the teacher in Spanish, and I'm the teacher in English. So and we're developing some other parents who have interest um, to become leaders as well. So it's kind of taking off, and um, I hope that it does because I think parents really, you know, and, uh, appreciate the the support and of and how course. to how to begin these discussions. Of course, so so it's very simple. Then you you have a, like a curriculum or some some some, yep. some like workshops that you run to help parents basically be better parents. Yeah, um, and I think that the uh, raw material is all there. You know, they are good parents. They're the ones handpicked by God. Um, we just need to fortify them and say that you know you can do this. Right, and the Daughters Forever, Sons Forever, you said it's also available as a book. If people just want to get the book, can yes. can, can they do yep. that? So they don't have to necessarily register to do one of the seminars. Right, because we're not we're not very many places yet. <laughs> okay. So they can they can go online. They can just get the book, and there's four workbooks. There's a workbook for mothers, one for fathers, one for sons, and one for daughters. Okay. And then the text uh, is for both you know parents and son or daughter. And then there's a set of CD or DVD talks that were those pre-recorded events that I t- told you about uh-huh. that took place about you know for a course of ten years. So we recorded the different speakers, the last one, and so that's a part of the curriculum as well. Right. And I have a couple other. Um, I'm in the process of writing a book right now for parents who are younger younger parents than teenage, you know, uh-huh. the teenage. And then we also have some several other uh, curriculums, one called Black and White. And then I have a surviving college uh, text as well. Right. So, yeah. Good. So, give us give us an idea of what sort sort of advice. Let's say there are, there may be parents listening right now who need help. What are a few of the most common challenges that you think parents of teens face, and what advice would you give them? Well, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges is the electronic media that's uh-huh. out there, and yeah. you know, like iPhones and <clears throat> iPads and the whole the whole bit. And young young parents are. I'm sure as to whether they let their young youngster even have a Facebook page and all those things. And, and my advice is no, they, they should not have a Facebook page until, you know, the age of maybe 16 or 17. And um, so communication, 
person to person is what's really critical for younger kids. Mm-hmm. They need to learn how to communicate verbally instead of, you know, just texting or doing this brief stuff on phones that, you know, kids are doing. Right. That's one concern. Another one is dating, and, and we suggest no dating in high school because, after all, what's the point? It just um, yeah. is going to probably end. And then chastity is another, you know, issue, of course, with many parents when we talk about pornography and um, staying away from, the t- you know, what to do about the computer because, of course, that's um, kind of a dangerous turf these days. It's a, it's a great tool for those of us who do research and, you know, communicate on, online, but for youngsters with questions who are alone and unsure of their own sexual identity or who they are or what their parents even believe about certain things, that's uh-huh. kind of a, you know, a device that they use for getting answers without asking questions. Right. So... What about very basic discipline. If parents have not been parenting uh, adequately when the kids are little, by the time they're teenagers, I sometimes find that it's, is it too late? What can a parent do to sort of regain that uh, authority? And maybe, uh, I think authority is the right word, but but, um, in terms of disciplining or having that, that, uh, saving that relationship with their teenager. Well, um, there are four types of parents, and the authoritative are the best. As the research shows that time and again, they um, turn out the kids who are the most successful later on. They're more sure of themselves. They're assertive. They're you know they do what they want to do, and that's what I would tell parents: is don't uh, be afraid of that role or that title of being an authoritative parent. Wow. Authoritarian is the one that's more negative, you know, associated yeah. with authority. But authoritative parents answers questions. They um, you know preempt. Uh, problems. They they are very involved with their kids. They're you know, so if they haven't done a, a good job up until then, or they're just trying to be chums with the kids, they really just need to sit down with them and say, you know, um, everybody makes mistakes, and we just got to really kind of reinvent this wheel here because uh, I think we've kind of lost some time here with you. You probably don't even know who we are. What we don't know necessarily who you are because we've just lost so much time here and. We need to change this around and and reset some rules. And you know, communication is the biggest part here. And so the kids might look at that and say, "Well, it's too late here for me." But if, you know, if this you've lost us back then. But kids don't do that. They really do want to connect with their parents, and they're going to listen. Yeah, I think it's the parents who might think it's too late, not the kids. Yeah. So, so, so basically, t- to be authoritative doesn't mean you have to be a tyrant. Exactly. That's. That's authoritarian, you know? Yes. An authoritative person is one who's involved and interested in someone else's life, and they understand their role. They are in charge of these kids. They are responsible, yeah, and the the structure are are clear. Linda, we have to leave it there, but it's been good talking to you. I I, I hope that this is inspiring some of our parents who are our listeners to uh, to learn more, to, to be a little more assertive in their role as parents. I know that there are a couple sessions coming up. You mentioned them, some in your area at, in St. Paul, uh, Minnesota. But yeah. I know you're also going to Baton Rouge for April. So all that information is on your website so people can find it, it there at yeah. familiesoffaith.org. And they can send me an email or, you know, if they have some questions, Absolutely. you know, they're free to call. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing a little bit of what you do and about your family with us today. And thank you for you know having me on, and appreciate what you do for all families. You're welcome. Linda Cracked, together with her husband David, run Fortifying Families of Faith. You can learn more about what they have to offer at familiesoffaith.org. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Ben Walter, with Make Your Home in Me. Mm-hmm. 
every fox a den, every bird a nest, but the Son of Man has no place to rest. Every heart a man, every king a throne, but the Word made flesh, no earthly home. Your burdens light and your yoke is easy. Your name is love and your grace is free. My heart was locked, but you had the key. Make your home in me. Make You come to me in your homelessness, burning in your eyes. Such a great distress. Who will heal your wounds? Who will make your bed? I will comfort you. I will share my bread for your burdens light. Your yoke is easy. Your name is love, and your grace is free. My heart was locked, but you had the key. Make your home in me. Make your Is free. My heart was locked, but you had the key. Make your home in me. Make your home in me. Oh, make your home in me. was Ben Walther with the title track of his new album, Make Your Home In Me. Now, thanks to Steubenville and Life Teen and SpiritandSong.com, we get yet another wonderful, talented Catholic singer, songwriter, and worship leader. If you're in the Houston area, you probably have heard of Ben Walther. Ben has a new album. This is his Spirit and Song debut, Make Your Home In Me and it includes seven contemporary Christ-centered songs that can be used for worship and that are, o- that are also rooted in the Catholic faith. So what more can we ask for? I mean, that's what everybody's looking for. Sure. So I'm very happy to welcome Ben Walter to our program today. Ben, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. So you've been doing this 
you've been doing this for like 15 years. So how did you end up, how did you fall into ministry? How did you end up, was this a, a yeah. you know, like, are you like a, the life teen grad? Is that the alum? <laughs> uh, you know what? Um, life teen wasn't really as big as it is today when I was in high school, uh, uh, but I did have a great youth minister. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of my teachers in high school were young Franciscan University grads. Oh, yeah. So through them, I heard about this great university, and uh, God steered me there, and I really got involved in music ministry when I was a college student on campus. Okay. Uh, it's kind of where, you know, we, we grew so much in the faith and learned about music and learned about worship. And um, so, yeah, after, after I graduated, I've been, in, I've been in youth ministry for, for that long, since I, since I got out of college. Okay. And, did, uh, you, did you go to Franciscan? Whole, Sorry, did you go to Franciscan? I did. University? Okay, yeah, so. sure did. Went to Franciscan yeah, okay. uh, University yeah. and um, loved it. Obviously, I'm, I'm one of these uh, faithfully devoted yeah. to my alma mater. Yeah, yeah, good, good. And then, and, uh, so then immediately after that, you went right into being a youth minister and doing, being, doing worship and, and, and that? Or? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was working uh, full-time as a, as a youth and music minister in St. Louis Okay. Uh, for, for two years, and then we moved to Houston. We've been there ever since. Okay. Now, w- were you always Catholic or always involved in the faith, or is this something that came in your adolescence later, or did you grow up in a Catholic home? I sure did. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in a, in a great Catholic home, and so I knew that I knew that God was real. You know, but it it really became uh, my life's you know journey to to enter into a, a deeper relationship with God in, in high school, my junior year of high school, really. Yeah. Uh, he just got my attention and, and started to change my direction. And were you always a musician? Did you have to, like, your parents made you take music lessons? or, or was <laughs> <laughs> You know, I took, uh, I took piano yeah. when I was a little guy yeah. for, like, three years. And then I one day I came home and I said, Mom, I want to quit. I want to yeah, I I do it. something tougher. Yeah. So I got into taekwondo. Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, yeah, music was always a big part of... Um, our, our house and our family, and, and I really got into it in high school. Yeah. Started playing guitar and yeah, yeah writing yeah. songs about the faith in high school. Okay, so you were already writing songs in high school. Did you, yeah. now that you've been doing it, and, and I guess you've had time to sort of define your ministry, how would you define your, do you have uh, maybe not a mission statement, but if, if you had one, what would be your mission as a minister? You know, for me, a big part of my story um we experienced brokenness in my family uh, when I was about 15. Mm. And uh, so for me, my mission statement is, is really to help share with people the good news of the gospel, that all things can be made new, you know, that God really can restore and heal. He really has the power to do what he says he can do. And so I try to, I try to put that into the music as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I have a chance to go and lead worship and to speak, I do a lot of retreats and some speaking as well. And whenever I get the chance to speak about it, um, you know, it's cool to share that message and then to share some songs that I've written, right. you know, uh, about that. Yeah. So that, that's what I'd say would be my mission statement. That's a great, great, great message for this time of the year, especially with Easter. Um, mm-hmm. It's so true. I love that. God makes all things new. Um, now, this is your first album with Spirit and Song, but it's not your first album. Um, tell us a tell us a bit about your so, sorry you have two albums right that are that sure. you produced mm-hmm. independently um has how what is different about the new album is it just that it's with spirit and song or is there a different 
focus or a different uh yeah there, there yeah? is a different focus uh i i in 2004 i released my first album called where i want to be mm-hmm. and um and at that time for for a number of years i really wanted to be you know a christian artist okay and i wasn't so concerned with writing songs for the church as i was just just making christian art okay and so for the last two albums, that was kind of my focus. Although, during that whole time, whenever, for the most part, when I get asked to do something, it's, it's to lead worship, you know, somewhere. Uh-huh. And uh, so that was always so much in my heart. And after so many years of playing other people's songs, so many great songs, and leading people in worship that way, I just started to pray to God that He would give me some songs to share in worship, in the Mass, uh, you know, that, that, that I could, that I could uh, share from my own heart. And so that's Really, what's different about this this new album with Spirit and Song is these these songs are all very worship centered, um, you know, liturgical even, and very accessible uh, melodically and theologically, very you know, very sound and very Catholic. And so, you could use them in mass. You could use them okay. in, a, in a night of worship. That's kind of what makes this one different, though, from and, the other two. And that that was my sense too. And I know that it's been described as you know songs that can be used in worship. But I think that it's important to note that they can be used in liturgy, and 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 I th- because a lot of groups, especially life, like you know, life life teen groups that are, are are having to do or finding themselves to do your traditional praise and worship, because they can't find Catholic music that is of that sort of genre. But I think sure. your stuff fits into that into that mold. Would you say? Yeah, I sure I sure hope so. That was you yeah. know, that was the real the the, the real hope. And uh, you know when you're writing songs, um, people will tell you that you need you need to always keep in mind you know your market and, and who you're mm-hmm. writing for. And mm-hmm. so really, with these seven songs, I was intentionally writing for people in the pews. Oh, I was writing good. for moms and dads and grandparents and kids, and I wanted to come up with songs that um, that people could use in in a liturgy or in a worship setting that that excited them and that drew them into prayer. Okay, let me ask you this, because I hadn't thought of this until you told me the name of your first album. So your first album was Where I Want to Be, and this last yeah. album is called Make Your Home in Me. Is there a progression there of where you were in 2004 or whenever that first album was, and now mm-hmm. where you want to be is to have Christ make his home in you? Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's, there's been a, a, an incredible progression. And the second album name was called Everything Can Change. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, got that second album out and immediately took a job doing full-time campus ministry at a local high school. And I remember thinking, am I just, wow. am I just you know, hanging up the hat? Am I, am I done? Am I over? Um, so it's really cool to have, you know, to have these new songs now, and just to look back and to see where God has brought me. Yeah. Because it never left me, you know, the, the yeah, songs, the music, and, and the desire to write and to pray this way. I don't think it ever leaves you. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow, that's that's very cool. Now, just quickly, um, you're going to be going to Ghana with Catholic yes. Relief Services. Tell, quickly tell us about that experience. This was an opportunity that came up uh, in, in the fall, and uh, Robert Fiducia, oh yeah, uh, from from Spirit and Song, and invited a few of us. You know, just kind of pitched this invitation out to see if any of us would like to go. So Catholic Relief Services, um, obviously, people are familiar with them and what they do. Yeah, they're interested in inviting some of us to come and and see what they do in Ghana and to learn about their mission there and to meet 
the people there mm-hmm. um, and and to be influenced by that that it would reflect in our songwriting you know and, and the way that we I um, see so specifically is it specifically for songwriters will you be doing some music there or is it is it for ver- people of different backgrounds to participate it, it is specifically for songwriters oh, and wow. worship leaders so there's about eight of us going wow. and um, nearly all of us all of us are related to spirit and song. What a great um, idea! You know, a, a lot of maybe six of us are, are songwriters, and then Robert, yeah, um, and Eric, Eric Schumacher is going to be yeah. coming. So oh, good, yeah. Well, what a great idea. Yeah, um, okay, and then just again because we're running out of time. So, and th- this tour, the Steubenville of the Rockies tour, is that like a Steubenville conference type experience? But it's a tour. How does that work? Yeah, usually, um, whenever we get asked to do a Steubenville conference, I like to try to to book my trip a few days before and a few days after because I love the opportunity to meet with parishes, uh, you know, either right before or right after the conference. And so the last few summers I've done that. Okay, so you're so the conference is you're you're part you're part of the Steubenville Rockies conference, and then it's your own tour that you're doing before and after. Yes, that's right. I see, and then that follows also because you're going to be you have quite the concerts coming up and you're going to be in Austin for a while and and then they got a, co- a couple concerts in Houston and then you're in Denver yeah. and there's the Ghana trip in there somewhere and then you go to the Steubenville Rocky so you're you're going to be busy and all that information is on your website so I'm going to leave uh, people with your website so they can easily Great. find you if you're um, interested in Ben's music and, and his ministry um, it's benwaltermusic.com and uh, all those tour dates are there on his website, and, and maybe he's coming to a city near you. Uh, ben, it's been great chatting with you. That's all the time we have. Sorry. Um, but it's always, uh, I love chatting with artists and, and listening to the music. You guys are doing great work. Um, Thank and, you so and much, Deacon Pedro. And, and uh, yeah, just, just uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for the encouragement, and thanks again for, for having me. Not a problem. And then a reminder that the new album, Make Your Home in Me, the release date will be next month in May, so keep your eyes open for that. Our featured artist of the week, Ben Walther. You can learn more about him. Again, his website, benwaltermusic.com. We're going to put a link uh, to that website on our site so you can find it easily. The new album, Make Your Home in Me, again, will be out in May, and it's published by spiritandsong.com. Here now is Ben with another song from that album, Take Me. Take me 
We're listening to Ben Walther with Take Me from his album Make Your Home in Me. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I'm sure most of you are familiar with St. Anthony. He's the foolproof solution to any lost item. St. Anthony, St. Anthony, come around. Something's lost and can't be found. St. Anthony is probably one of the most loved and well-known saints, but do you really know much about this 13th century saint? Well, last Thursday, on the Feast of St. Anthony, Salt and Light premiered our new documentary film on the life of St. Anthony. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by the film's director and producer, Ed Roy. Ed, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Uh, Thank you, Pedro. Happy to be here. So, I think that people can... uh, uh, relate to St. Anthony do, having to do with lost items, but why is the film a story of loss and light? Where's the loss in his life? Right, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think what we wanted to do here with the film is not simply tell the story um, of a saint that many people have turned to over the past 800 years, but to go back and look at the life of an individual uh-huh. um, that spans 35 years. And so um, Anthony, whose um, you know his baptismal name was Fernando, he goes through his own journey of self-discovery, and in that self-discovery journey, he also has to lose many things. He loses some concepts of himself, or uh-huh. loses ideas of what he believes he is called to do uh, as a Christian right. or as someone who wants to give his entire life to God. He has various, you know inspirations uh, as a young man first starting off as possibly following the footsteps of his father who was a knight uh-huh. and um, I think what's interesting to note is that in his century uh, Portugal had just been uh, reconquered by uh, the uh, Christian kingdoms to the north mm-hmm. uh, from Muslim control only a couple of generations before him and there may have been still a sort of a, a sense of knighthood as being something that was also a um, a service where you sort of put your, your life on the line for the people you love and for the protection of, of, of your village or of your city. Right. But so Anthony is someone who's very generous. And, um, but at a certain point he feels that in order to save his soul, he, he must enter in relig- into religious life. Mm-hmm. And so his uncle, who is an Augustinian canon, uh, basically a religious of the Augustinian tradition, yeah. um, inspires him to, to, you know, to also enter into that way of life. And then later, something else happens, and he meets Francis, these Franciscans. Right. Uh, and so he has to also lose that previous idea. And then as a Franciscan, he thinks, well, I'm I going see. to go off and yeah. be a martyr in Morocco. Yeah. And that never happens. And so his life story is one of a lot of believing he's going to go on a certain path, and then God sort of closes doors in front of him. And so there's, yeah. a, there's a sense of loss, but more than anything, I think it's a sense of loss of understanding what does God really want from yeah. me? And only at the point in which he surrenders does he begin to experience a new sense of light in his life. Yeah, I see. Uh, that there is somebody else, there's God who is there to help guide him on his journey. And the guiding becomes more clear the more he really lets go of control. Yeah, sounds, sounds like uh, the faith journey that a lot of us <laughs> go on, you know? God takes you somewhere, 
prepares Absolutely. you for something then moves you on. Um, did you, Ed, personally, uh, I'm sure you knew about St. Anthony, but did you have a particular devotion to St. Anthony? Or was there anything new about this man, Fernando, that you found out that, that moved you personally? To tell you the truth, before this project, I had almost no connection with St. Anthony. Uh -huh. I only understood St. Anthony from those around me, uh, especially of, of Italian descent, who had uh, this, this, you know, this um, tradition of turning to St. Anthony for things that were lost, and I never did, because I just didn't understand why I should. Uh -huh. And so for me, the discovery of St. Anthony was, was almost from very, very fresh. I knew really nothing about him. I didn't know what century he was born. Uh -huh. I didn't know he was a Franciscan. I didn't know he knew St. Francis. Um, I only had heard uh, from my Portuguese friends that he was from Portugal, and they were very proud of that. Yeah. And from my Italian friends that he was from Padua, and they were very <laughs> yes. proud of that. And um, so I knew almost, I would say almost nothing. I didn't even know the prayer that uh, you yeah. said at the beginning of That's this interview. That's funny because I've, I've known about St. Anthony in terms of finding lost items, but in Spanish. So I learned that prayer just recently in the last couple of years because I heard somebody say it in English and I thought, oh, that's cool. Um, did you find out why he ended up being the patron saint of lost items? Or, or of, of lost items? Yeah. Well, that's a good question because he's really the patron saint of many things. Yeah. Um, and in certain cultures, he's really become most pronouncedly known as the, the patron saint of lost items. Yeah. I can't really give you what I would call an accurate reason yeah, of how that developed. There have been various stories yeah, out there, probably... and I'd almost prefer not even to mention yeah, any of them. Yeah, you know, I, I must say... But one that... of the things that I find is very interesting, and this comes really from the people that we interviewed, is that it seems that St. Anthony is there not so much to help us to, lose, to, to, to find lost things, but in praying to find things that we've lost, he's trying to also, as, as a response to those prayers, and we find what we're, we're looking for, and sometimes we don't, but that's also an answer, too, uh -huh. is that it helps to open our minds up and our souls up to something larger. Right. That we are immensely loved. Hmm. And, um, and from that perspective, I can really sort of really embrace this idea that, you know, St. Anthony isn't so much about, you know, the magic charm of when I lose something. But it's more about saying that there is more to our life and to our life journey than the people that we see with our eyes and our ears. There's also this, well, we'll use the word communion of saints, yeah. this other dimension of, of the human family um, that's also, how should I put it, they're, they're, they're part of our, our greater circle of friends. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, some reason Anthony has this, kind of capacity to reach down from heaven and say, hey, I'm here, I'm here, I'm your friend too, let me help you find something. Yeah. And that also opens the door to saying, well, maybe I should be turning also to God yeah. for help as well. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about how you, uh, how you ended up uh, zeroing in on the story that you were going to tell. Who did you interview? What, what's your focus on the film? You know, the focus of the film... I mean, in many ways, whenever you work on a documentary, it is also a journey of discovery. Um, you can have, we had a certain initial idea. I had a desire, first and foremost, to know Fernando, to know the life journey of a, of a, of a fellow Christian. Uh, we call him a saint today, but sometimes using that wonderful title can also distance someone. So we wanted to go back and discover who this individual was. Um, and in doing so, 
you know, we begin to just understand that we are exploring a life journey. And you had made a very important point before, and that is loss and light. We mm-hmm. all go through that experience, even the saints. And I would say even other saints have all gone through very similar experiences because it is a process of, of letting go of the things that we think are important, even if they mean uh, a life towards following God, following uh, Christ and the Gospels. But we need to be purified of a lot of our ideas and simplified. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, just it's sort of like it was one of those things that just seemed to become obvious in how to tell his story in particular with this theme. Certainly we could have taken other aspects. He was also a great preacher. Yeah. We could have focused in on uh, his uh, gift for, um, uh, you know, theology. He supposedly uh, had the Bible memorized by heart. Um, hmm. Uh, he was referred to by one pope as the jewel box of the Gospels because mm. they felt that if the Gospels had all been lost, they could rewrite it from his memory. Wow. Therefore, you know, we could have taken a look at his story from also his gifts, but instead we wanted to look at it from his personal inner journey, that journey of the soul. Right. That journey which really becomes a relationship daily with God, uh-huh. in which one begins to more and more say, Okay, who am I going to trust in? Am I going to trust in my intelligence? Am I going to trust in my good looks? Am I going to trust in my health, my ability to you know, do X, Y, or Z? Or am I going to trust in God who guides me? Right. And that really is the journey of a saint. Um, it's the journey for all of us, actually, as we go towards our own path of sanctity. And it opens us up to a different kind of relationship with God. And that's what really what we wanted to do, was to show how this young man, Fernando, in his journey, had opened his life and his soul up to a very deep and trusting relationship with the Lord. Which is a great example for all of us. Um, absolutely. And still relevant today. I think absolutely. one of the things that we want to make sure is that these saints who lived 800 years before us, and maybe today we see them mostly in monumental pieces of art. I mean, the artwork around St. Anthony's memory is absolutely spectacular. Mm -hmm. But we want to remember it's not just about the art. There is something in his story that's still relevant to me today as an individual, as I go to school, as I go to work, as I struggle with uh, understanding my my place in the world. It's still very, very relevant. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the challenges of telling the story of a saint. You're right, to, to kind of, we want to connect with his humanity. Um, it's a great film, Ed. Uh, thank you for the work that you've done on it, and, uh, and I hope uh, that our listeners can get a chance to watch it uh, when it r- repeats again on this weekend. So thanks for chatting with us today. Thank you, Pedro. I enjoyed it. Be well. Ed Roy is a filmmaker and the director and producer of Finding St. Anthony, A Story of Loss and Light. You can learn more about Ed Roy at his website, j6mediaworks.com, and you can watch Finding St. Anthony on Salt and Light Television. You can watch all our programming streaming live at saltandlighttv.org slash live. You can also visit that site to find out how to purchase the DVD of the film when it's out. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Audrey Assad with Lament from her album Heart.
Audrey Assad with Lament from her album Heart. I met Audrey Assad in 2009 during a Matt Marr concert that we were filming. Matt had brought Audrey to sing backup, and during the concert, Audrey sang one of her songs, Firefly, and blew everyone away. A year later, Audrey released her debut album with Sparrow Records titled The House You're Building, an album that was named Christian Album of 2010 on Amazon.com and the Christian Breakthrough Album of the Year on iTunes. Now, last year, Audrey released her second album with Sparrow Records, Heart, which we've been listening today. And needless to say, Audrey is doing very well, and I'm very happy to be speaking with Audrey Assad today. Audrey, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So do you remember that concert in 2009? You came to Toronto. I don't know if that's the only time you've been here in Mississauga with Matt, and you guys sang this Life Team concert. Yes, I do remember. Um, I had just, I think I'd been touring with him for about a year at that point. Okay. And um, it was really fun. But yeah, I've, I've been to Canada many times. I actually love Canada. I've yeah. got a, I haven't visited all the provinces yet, but I've been to Toronto kind of 
throughout my life many times. I favorite know. We'll area. We'll have to make sure next time you come, we have to connect. Now, tell us a little bit. You said you would have been touring with Matt for a year. Tell us a little bit about that time in your life. Yeah, well, I met him in 2008, right after I moved to Nashville. I had been Catholic for one year. Uh-huh. Um, a friend introduced us, a friend that I had known for many, many years, and he's in another band, and they kind of ran in the same circles, and he said, you know, I have this friend, and he's Catholic, and he's a worship leader, and an artist, and I really think you guys would connect, and, you know, you guys should meet, and so we did, and then we went on the road pretty shortly thereafter, um, and stayed on the road together doing that, I sang out backup for him for about a year, and then um, I struck out on my own a little more after that, but we still partner up a lot, we write together and go on tour probably about once a year together still. So before you, and I want to ask you a little bit about your conversion, but before before that, were you already touring and doing music on your own, or were you sort of in the fringes? I was doing it sort of part-time. I okay. wasn't on the road full-time, but I had traveled some, but it was sort of, I had, it was pretty new for me still, so Matt was my first full-time music right, job, so, like so, being a friend. Because Firefly, I know it was the song, but it was also a, a, an album that you put out on your own, that you had put out on your own earlier, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, um, tell us a little bit about this this conversion. Why why Catholicism? Well, um, of course, that's a very long story. But the <laughs> nutshell answer is that I spent most of my life being very attracted to the church aesthetically, and then when I was in my early twenties, I met a young Catholic who evangelized me to the teachings of the Catholic Church. And so I I ended up studying for a couple of years, was really well catechized by this guy and his family, and then um, went through RCIA and became Catholic. And the major, I think the major um, sort of turning point for me was the the church authority thing. So once okay. I kind of came to believe that, everything else, was believable. Everything fell where into place. before I believed that nothing was very believable. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So so th- th- there's something to say then about evangelizing each other or sharing the good news with other oh, people, yeah. catechizing them. That's, that's absolutely yeah. Yeah, that's a that's such a nice story. Now, so what was it like to grow up in the Assad home? I, I assume that it was a musical home. Was it a, a faithful home as well? Yes. Um, my mother was is musical. Um, I get all of my musical abilities from her side of the family. Right. And my my parents were, um, well, my dad is an immigrant from Syria. Okay. And he was a believer basically from a very young age in the Middle East. And then when he came to the States, he was uh, sort of accepted into the fold of like the uh, Plymouth Brethren Church, which is a smaller okay. Protestant denomination. But my mother was raised in that denomination as well, and so they met at some sort of a Bible conference, I think, when they were young. Okay. And um, yeah, so I was raised Plymouth Brethren, which is, I like to compare, I mean, it's kind of somewhere between Quaker and Baptist. It's very, uh-huh, very, uh-huh. very conservative and um, very, very traditional. And, and then, so that was where I was raised, and um, they were... I mean, they taught me to, my parents taught me to, to love the Lord and to love the Word of God, and, um, you know, they, in time, have become very supportive of my decision to enter the Catholic Church communion, right. uh, although they are not Catholic, but they, you know, I think they believe that I'm following God's will for my life in some way, so. Yeah. 
Now, so you were taking piano lessons, I guess, when you were a little girl growing up singing. Were you, was there an opportunity to sing in that church community or in other, in other uh, settings growing up? In my church growing up, they did not really encourage women to be vocal in any way in front of the, the really? group. Really? And so I did not sing in front of my church until I was in my later years of high school where we had actually left that church and gone to slightly more progressive, I guess you could call them, uh, modern, I guess, um, branch Uh of the denomination, and they were more... I I did start singing in the choir and occasionally doing, like, little solos or whatever. Um, So that was later in high school, and then after that, we ended up uh, sort of doing the church-hopping thing for a few years, and I... I ended up getting a job at a at a church doing um, music ministry for a young adult group, and so that was really where I started to uh-huh. uh, incubate. I think as a as a, as a, as a yeah. Mm-hmm. And when did the songwriting start? Also, as a I was nineteen when I started writing. Right around the time that I got that job, actually, I started to write my own songs. And, and, th- and so that's around the time of Firefly. No, uh, I didn't make Firefly until I was. 25. Okay, so later, yeah. Yeah, a few years later, six years later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've had the two albums with Sparrow Records, and now you've left Sparrow, and you've mm-hmm. turned to Kickstarter. What's that all about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, my parting with the label was, I think, as good as it could be expected. It's never fun, but it was the right decision for several reasons, and yeah. a lot of them being creative decisions, uh, creative uh, reasons, and differences that I didn't see as reconcilable, and um, neither did they. And so we parted ways in March, and I decided to launch a Kickstarter campaign to basically um, do two things. One, I mean, I didn't know how I was going to fund the next record. Um, You know, I I also felt that huddling my fans in this way would keep them engaged in what I was doing and keep me connected Mm -hmm. to what they who they are and what they are doing in life and kind of, you know, I just felt like it would be a really good experience all around. And yeah, so and I decided to try it. And so we set our goal at 40,000, which was to make the record, market it, do some video work, website, you know, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. Which is actually, it sounds like a big number, but it's actually no, quite a small number in the scheme of what it usually costs to do that much work. I know, but you raised but like 60,000 yeah. or something. Yeah. We raised uh, seventy nine thousand. Yeah, I know that's great. You know what? I think that Kickstarter for albums is the great pl- best platform because essentially what people are doing is they're buying. I mean, they can support yeah. more, but they're basically buying the album before it's it's yeah, made. Yeah, pre sale basically. Yeah, it's a, that's, it's, it's it makes perfect sense. So you've pre sold yeah. seventy nine thousand dollars worth of the album, which is <laughs> not quite. Not quite <laughs> but we um, we did sell. I think all in all, we had. 2,200 backers, and so we've got that many copies pre-sold, but um, a lot of them were very generous, so they gave way more money than they had to to get the record, and that's how we were able to raise that large amount of money, which enabled us to do more and make a better record and spend more time in the studio. Yeah, I know. You know, I'm not pocketing any of that money, like it's all getting spent on this album. No, but that's good, that's good, and you're working on that as we speak. Are you, uh, what's sort of the focus of the album? Can you share a little bit about sort of where you're going with this? going to be called um, Fortunate Fall, and that is an alternate translation of one of the prayers in the Exalted at the Easter Vigil, uh-huh. uh, Oh Happy Fall, Oh Necessary Sin of Adam. Yeah, I know that very well, for, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the overarching theme of the record, and within that, there are several other lyrical themes, but that is definitely um, 
the main one. And then sonically, I've, I'm really, I haven't tracked it yet. So I'm, I'm about to go in on Monday. I've just been working on sort of getting it all ready to go and written and everything. And on Monday we'll start, but I'm very much aiming uh, at this point to use traditional church instruments like piano, organ, voice, bells, right. uh, in, in sort of a modern frame, you know? So, um, and there will be some like praise and worship type songs on it as well that are more, I don't know, I want to use the word contemporary, but I guess yeah. modern and in their makeup, but uh, there will be a lot of, of sacred influence, I think, just due to my recent three years of growth in the Catholic Church. It's really influenced me in how I view how church music should be, you right. know, and so okay. uh, I'm very much keeping that in mind as well, like the teachings of the church on on that, and so um, I think it's going to be a nice, like, deep record. I hope that people are able to pray with it. Is it going to be, I mean, because your music, I don't know, I don't know even how to say, you know, it's folky, indie kind of music. Is it going to be music that can be used in worship or used in liturgy, or is it more to listen to, to for my own private prayer? Yeah, I think it's, um, I'm very intentionally going for a mixture, and what I'm planning on doing is in the liner notes with each song, sort of stating wh what it's best used, like, what what its best context is. And so right. if this is a song that, yeah, absolutely could fit into a liturgy, then I'll, I'll notate that. And if it's a song that is more suited to adoration on a Friday night, then I'll notate that, you know. Yeah. And then some of them, a couple of them, will be really more for personal devotion than anything. But I think there will be like quite a quite a mixture on the record. Well, as as a as a permanent deacon, and since you're going with "Oh Happy Fall," if you want to set the whole exalted to music that is actually singable <laughs> and that, <Yeah. laughs> that it's like 12 minutes long, then I'd be happy yeah, to to take you up on. To, <laughs> Did not I will think about that. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, Audrey, that's all the time we have, but it's been really good reconnecting with you and to uh, to get to know you a little better. And uh, and we're going to try to connect with you once uh, your new album is out so that we Wonderful. can uh, help Thanks you pump so it up. Thank you. Thank you. You can learn all about Audrey Assad at her website, AudreyAssad.com. That's Assad with two S's, but I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. She's also on Twitter and on Facebook, so be sure to look her up. And if you'd like to win a copy of Audrey's Heart, go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio and enter your name and email address, and we'll be drawing a winner next Saturday and announcing the winner on this show. Here now is Audrey with another song from her album Heart. The song is titled Sparrow.
were listening to Audrey Assad with Sparrow from her album Heart. That concludes the special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org radio and also look us up on Facebook. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro.